0: Two things that I loved a lot when I was a child were comic books and professional wrestling. Today we have two wonderful guests to join us to talk about issue that comes up in both of those arenas, which is good versus evil. I'm Jeremy Fine and this is the Religion of Human Nature podcast. Welcome back to the Religion of Human Nature podcast. I'm really, really excited about this episode uh, because there are two of my favorite things, comic books and wrestling. So uh, it's probably not something a lot of people associate with rabbis, but I grew up on both of these things. And we're going to be talking about a pretty um, interesting topic today, which is good versus evil and having... um, I want to say first hi to Jim Brunzel, who's a former professional wrestler with the High Flyers and the Killer Bees. Jim, how are you doing today? Very good, Jeremy. Thanks right. for having me. Great. And uh, famed comic book writer Dan Jurgens. Dan, how are you? Quite well. It's good to be here. Good. Yeah, we've Dan and I have gotten to know each other over about a year now. And we've uh, done some things together, and it's great getting to know you, and I really appreciate both of you being here. And I can't think of two better people to speak about good and evil about then people who sort of portray and write sort of on this sensitive topic uh, and balance the that idea. And Dan, I want to I want to speak to you first and ask you a question. So when you are writing, do you approach writing good guys or bad guys any differently
1: and what are some of those techniques you use? Well, I do and I think but part of it that I think is important to know is that it isn't a case of someone being all good or someone being all evil that it's a mix and i think if you if you start to consider fiction overall we find villains who have some decent attributes to be more interesting just as we find heroes with flaws and faults to be more interesting i think the difference is what is their motivation what is their intent and so if you're someone who is inherently evil or a bad guy so to speak whatever it is you want whatever it is that you desire whatever it is that you're going for that's on the other side of the line if you're a hero even though you might have flaws and you might have faults you understand where that line is and you're defending that line And I think that's what starts to make these characters more realistic and more relatable. And in terms of, you know, where do we find that? We all know of instances and we all know of people who kind of fit that description a little bit. And, And we can start to look into some of what we have seen, some of what we have known, be it in the news or be it with people we have actually met, who can start to take us down that road. I think what you just said is absolutely uh, something
0: that was going through my mind during the last uh, Avengers movie. Dan, I know you're a DC guy, but did you see Avengers? Yes. Okay, so you, you could admit it. You could admit it. You <laughs> I, I it was at first. Marvel for seven years or <laughs> okay. so, so yeah. Great. So, I mean, that was Thanos. A p- part of it, you're like, maybe he doesn't really mean it, or maybe what he's doing he actually believes is good. And that was uh, something that I think a lot of people struggled with. Like They felt for him, even though what he was doing was Absolutely horrible. So, um, have you when you when you're writing? Do you try to develop sort of that? Is it easier to
1: write the bad guy because there is some decency? It's more fun to write the bad guy because I think that's where you can go to different extremes in your head that you know you don't do as a person. Um, really, writing bad guy dialogue, writing their goals and motivations—that is more fun for me. It is anyway. But in, in terms of how it can work out in reality, it is always fun to play with that because if it's just a bad guy who, who says, I'm here to take over the world without a reason as to why or whatever it is they do. Uh, in some ways, if you give them someone they love, for example, that then is a sign of humanity, and it also can be potentially their weakness. But ultimately, that's what starts to make them more relatable to a viewer or a reader. And I think that's how you start to pull people in. And that's where you can then play around those areas of gray that we do see in people. And and just what was it that made this individual go over the line, and can you pull him back? That's great. Jim, I want to turn
0: to you for a moment, because Uh, You've had to play in front of crowds and in front of audiences and what are the ways that wrestlers or maybe you in particular had to ensure that you were a good guy or a bad guy and how was that seen differently from your opponent because you are telling a story in the ring and you're for most matches I would say 90% right the crowd is rooting for someone and rooting against someone else so are there are there techniques you use
2: well i think basically if 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 i look back and i wrestled for 27 years and had about 5000 matches um basically uh you have two personalities in the ring and when we first started um we were sort of asked to you know let ourselves go as far as our personality and in talking and practicing, uh, you know, doing an interview, and then uh, you sort of brought that into the into the ring. And actually, the characters that you see in the ring and people will pay money are real comfortable in what they're presenting whether it be good or bad so say for instance well now it's hard it's hard to uh, determine who's good <laughs> or bad with the current uh, tv production uh, of the wwe because there there's uh, i think vince mcmahon uh, who runs the wwe doesn't like uh to have a, a a character uh, show any weakness, so more or less he he is sort of prone to have two guys that are basically the same personality, and whoever the public likes, he lets it go.
0: Right, and you you were on these sort of tag teams. I told you earlier, I grew up watching the Killer Bees, and I remember them. I had the toys. Sure, and and so. Were there, was there ever a moment where you had to to switch from being a good guy or a bad guy, and, and I guess in wrestling we call it heel, heel um, and babyface? Baby
2: well, I, the only time that that has happened in, in my instances is when I go abroad to Japan because. The Japanese are considered, uh, you know, the baby face, even though they're <laughs> they're a lot rougher than <laughs> what you see in in uh, pro wrestling in this country, as far as TV. But basically, I've always been the same, you know. And and there have been times where. We've had two baby faces in the ring and had an hour draw, and uh, people uh, believe it or not, people get into that because there's (laughs) it's a little more scientific, and then towards the end, you know, maybe one guy might get a little rougher Mm -hmm. with the other with his opponent and consequently the the crowd will react to that you know and and it's a uh, you know pro wrestling has always been about uh good and evil and and for the fans to pay uh to vent their frustrations yeah you, you
0: know absolutely i want to come to a word you use rougher and so like um aggression is often used to depict evil, even though someone with aggression may or may not actually act on it, they might just, that's sort of how their, you know, their emotions come out. Um, So are there other inherent qualities between good and evil that either of you played on? And um, how do you as an individual decide what those characteristics are? And this open?
1: Oh, boy, I think, I think that uh, in terms of other qualities it is uh you mentioned aggression um what we do a lot i think is find that sense of um how do you start to communicate that because it, it's not necessarily as bringing someone on stage right away and saying okay here he is he's the bad guy boom you know you don't go zero to 60 right you start a little bit smaller and it really is how do they treat the people around them are they demeaning you know do they totally dominate the room to such an extent that no one ever listens. I mean, one of the things we see in, in film and TV um, comics all the time is uh, you've got head bad guy and the, the other lower level bad guys around him and someone says he doesn't like and boom, he blows them away or whatever. And I always wonder, well, then who else is going to work for this guy, right? I mean, do they have a great pension or a great insurance? I mean, why do they stay there? And I think that then is cheap shorthand. But it it has to be something different where um, it has to be more subtle than that. Because otherwise, any smart person walks away, right? So I I think it really is the type of language that they use. Or are they so dismissive that they basically don't say anything at all? They just stand there looking out the window. Everybody else says what they have to say. And then he turns around and says, no, here's what we're going to do. I mean, a good person can do that as well typically we try and be more inclusive of others opinions and things now certainly so i think it's the subtle stuff that really helps to build someone in that way
0: so we, so um the character i have in mind that you're describing a little bit is lex luther mm-hmm. right? who you sure. are an expert on and so so lex uh is sort of he's not always just vicious and he's not thanos he's not just pummeling people and killing off people like crazy he's sort of this like mastermind how do you build a character who isn't just the rough and tough bad guy but some like um um, i can't think of anyone right now but who's just hurting people but he is sort of like the mastermind behind a lot of that
1: right i think some of it is um they have to win i mean part of it is you need times and i'm sure this happens in wrestling we see it all the time there are times the bad guy has to win and, and so you start with that, but I think beyond that, uh, some of it comes with them as, and we'll use Luthor as an example, and they're, you know, comparables throughout fiction. Um, they are convinced that they are right. Somehow they convince themselves, and this goes a little bit to what you mentioned about Thanos earlier, that they are doing something good. And, and I think that's what's fun to play with because a bad guy who comes out, and once again, this is my earlier example of you know, cheap bad guy just blowing away the, the underlings. A bad guy who comes out and said, here I am, I'm the bad guy, is not that interesting. The, the more complex ones that I think are interesting are the ones who are convinced that somehow they are do, doing something right. It might only be for them. They convince themselves they're the only ones who can see the path that must be followed, yeah. and they will show everybody how to do it. But they're much more interesting um, than the ones who just come out and say, here I am, I'm the bad guy yeah yeah
0: and so jim i see that a little in wrestling there's actual action right it's not just sort of convincing themselves so uh after a match you'll see someone get attacked um sometimes that gets applause is a good thing uh, i'm sure that is maybe not what they intended um are there other actions in the ring that um are sort of signs that you know who the bad guy is Does, when oh definitely uh yeah
2: Going back to the time when I, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and the wrestling has changed remarkably because everything is scripted now. Right. Everything from the interviews to the matches, everything. So you watch it and it's almost the same thing time after time after time. Before uh, a personality was groomed, before the TV viewing audience, uh, week after week after week, and what would happen is you would have – uh, say, for instance, a fellow uh, like Nick Blackwinkle, who was a great, great champion, and, and oh, he was one of the best. He'd get in the ring. Uh, he was a heel, but he was he was a good wrestling scientific heel. And he would he and I would wrestle and have a good match, and everything would go real even. And all of a sudden, there was a point in that match when he fouled me, right. and he did something dirty. Right, And that got the reaction of the people. And then that reaction caused uh, him to be an evil person. So the fans saw that, and it might have been a poke in the eye or a knee in the ribs or something like that. We were in the rope, and then right away, boom. That that created the good-bad relationship from that point on.
0: And the great wrestlers are able to sort of pick up and when the audience um, needs to be turned. Right, and exactly. I, 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 it's, a, it's the timing. I'm an it, avid wrestler, wrestling fan, and and I think that uh, the person I see who's just remarkable at it is Chris Jericho. He can go from good guy to bad guy back to good guy in the same match, and that's one of the reasons he's been around for so long. And sure, people he he's one of the few who can bounce from company to company. It does not matter. He is a draw because the crowd. Um, sees him as good and bad and he knows just how to click.
2: Exactly. Well, there's there's very few guys like that in the profession now. Ric Flair was one. Of course. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts was one. Uh, Bob Orton Jr. was one. Uh, and, you know, consequently now, I mean, uh, You know, I'm sure the the wrestling fan out there uh, that is listening to this podcast and and is a younger person, they have no idea, they have no concept what it was like. And the you know, one time there was 26 territories where you could wrestle in this country. Now there's only two. Right. So, uh, in a way, the only thing good about the situation right now is that the wrestlers are making good, real good money. Yeah. And they're not. When I was uh, first. Uh, signed uh, with Vince McMahon in uh, June of nineteen eighty-seven for three and a half years, I averaged twenty-seven days a month on the road wow. for three and a half years, and <clears throat> that's the, and he had sixty fellows that he had taken from all over the country, and he ran three towns a night, twenty guys in each town, and we would just circumvent the whole United States, <laughs> you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it was. It was chaotic.
0: Um, so we've talked about how good and evil come through in sort of fictional stories, whether it be uh, on paper or live. Uh, do you ever work real stories into your storyline? So either in the ring uh, with maybe someone you uh, did not like in, in reality or something that was personal to them, or some of your your sort of stories inside your comics are stories you read in the news, or stories that you are, are real to you. Uh, is there ever a crossover into from your real lives and how you're depicting these characters? Like maybe one of your bad
1: guys is really like someone you hated in high school. Dan. Well, not. <laughs> it isn't that simple. I I think part of the answer is. Um, sometimes I try and avoid. The things that we see in real life and, and for one simple reason and that is that if there is something that is happening that is big that way in June, by the time my book comes out in September or October, there could be differences in how it reconciled itself that I'm unaware of. Plus, it looks like I'm, you know, making it too easy. I think what you can draw from though is the idea of uh, struggle that people have because that doesn't change. And and there are different aspects of that that change, and you can communicate that somehow. But I think by and large, I try and kind of avoid the topic of the moment, be it political, be it something else like that. Um, even if it's a terrorist action, it's so easy to go to that that I try and work around it, in part because Whatever is a hot topic, as I said, right now may not be by the time the book comes out. People might be tired of it by then. Um, And it it could always reconcile itself somehow in a different way that you find out, because I have had this happen where you're working mid-story, and then something changes. There's another layer to it or something like that, and you have to change on the fly. That I've learned to just try and avoid that and try and build stories that are very centric to the characters.
0: Jim what about you are there are there times where sort of like real life were you' ever in the ring with someone you actually did not like and uh, did did some of your um, anger or dislike towards that person ever come through in the ring
2: you know i I think there was moments um like you know human nature where uh, something happens in the ring and you sort of lose your cool and you can react uh in a way that would probably ruin the match. So basically, and and out of all the matches I had, I I, I don't think I, I lost my temper maybe once or twice, and that was because of, of of something that happened in the ring that sort of goofed up the whole timing, and that could have been my fault or it could have been the opponent's fault. But uh, basically, if if you were to lose uh, lose it in the in the in the ring, <laughs> and actually have a fight or, or do something you'd ruin the whole ring because the people wouldn't know how they would say holy what's going on mm-hmm. you know so i'm sure i've seen a lot of guys after a match you know getting a fight in the locker room but uh, and that's just being professional about it because um, you know as you know I, I, it's just human nature that uh, eventually especially when you're working so much um and you have other pressing things in your mind it, it 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 will make you a little short as far as your temper and then boom you might react but i was very fortunate you know i i got along with most of the guys in the ring and and they got along with me and everything was pretty good
0: you know i i think in wrestling there's you know um there are moments there have been probably a handful where i just felt like that was real and sometimes you'll watch the dvds and you'll find out people were reacting or especially stories with like andre the giant and ultimate warrior and how they did not like each other it comes clear in any match you watch Mm -hmm. andre is probably trying to really hurt (laughs) this individual but um uh, there was a moment I remember when um, not, not so long ago, where CM Punk, which people call this pipe bomb, where he was took the microphone and sort of spewed his his own feelings, and he broke sort of um, the fourth wall and and all sorts of things. And I remember texting my best friend and I said, um, "You uh, need to turn on your television because this is real. <laughs> right? It's not. Do not DVR this because it is good. You can't check your social media accounts." And so. You know, I often wonder um, in, in when we write, you know, a lot of times I write, when I write sermons or things like that, uh, a lot of my real emotion are playing. It's what I'm feeling in the moment. And I often wonder if I was a fictional writer um, or a fictional, portraying a fictional character, um, how much of my own self is coming through, especially when we're trying to uh, decipher between who is good and who is evil. And I, I think that's actually something that is really, um polarizing in our world right now right we're very quick to label sides or i don't i don't vote for this person or i don't like that country or and and there's probably a hundred things you do like about that that system but you've heard one person's name or uh one idea and it automatically we sort of we drop it right um, uh, and, and that becomes really polarizing. And, and, is there a responsibility for those who maybe write a little bit of fiction or portray fiction to sort of either give us a release or, or say like, um, you know, not everyone's just good and evil. There, there are layers to, to everyone.
1: I think so. Um, and, and part of it is because I think you're absolutely right that the, the concept of labels are applied much more easily now than they ever were, and I thought we were trying to societally kind of work away from that. Yeah, and and I think um, the use of a label is is really meant to stereotype. You know, it is meant to identify someone with one word or two words, so that as soon as you hear that word, you can assume you know everything about them. And and I think uh, in terms of writing fiction. That's why you want to make sure some of these characters have shades of gray. Uh, You know, I know that um, uh, people will often ask me, how how do I write different characters? And I think, well, when we are very young children, we start to learn the difference, right? We, We understand at a very young age, and I'm sure you've seen this in your kids, that if I ask mom this question versus if I ask dad this question, I'll get a different response. Mm-hmm. So right away, kids start to understand character and start to figure that out. And as we grow older, even as we're in school, as as you know, 12 year olds, we start to know exactly how teachers will react, different teachers yeah. to the exact same question, or our friends. That starts to build character. That's how we begin to interpret that. And as we know more and more people, we can then know people who would appear to be different from us. Um, no matter what label is applied, and still find the way to kind of bridge whatever differences exist, and I think that's a lot of what a writer has to portray. That that again, it gets into a little bit of what I said earlier. There isn't not necessarily absolute. This person is one hundred percent evil or one hundred percent good.
0: Yeah, Dan, I, I I agree wholeheartedly. You 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 took um. You're you're, you're very famous for taking Superman, the ultimate good guy um and giving him a new spin right and Mm -hmm. uh what was that difficult to take you know really the the hair or or in the wrestling world of when when hulk hogan you know turned to the nwo there these moments where these iconic characters just have a total facelift um was that easy or was that hard? Did you get flack from people? Did you ever well, get...
1: th- there were times that that people might not have liked a particular story, but I think the uh, the reality was to build depth through the character. And in, in the case of Superman, Superman is really Clark Kent. Clark Kent was raised on a farm in Kansas. So then you start to say, what was that life like? Did Clark Kent as a kid, when he did not have uh, superpowers, ever make a mistake? Well, of course he did. But the difference is... He learned from it and learned how to apply it later. Yeah. Uh, Jim, did you you, you, you talked about how you were babyface, a good guy most
0: of your career. Did you ever want to dig into being a heel and was that sort of request denied or? Um... Well, Jeremy, I think, you know, um,
2: like I said before, you, uh, the fellows that were successful in, in pro wrestling sort of uh, kept their own personality. Because that's the easiest to live with. Of course. And it's it's easier while well, it was easier for me to continue to to work in the ring as a, a baby face rather than try to be a heel. I, I just I I really don't think I would have uh, done very well as a heel there was times and I'm sure Greg Gagne felt the same way and sort of Brian Blair that they would like to turn on me as I would like to turn on them <laughs> for, for some knucklehead things that we might have done you yeah. know in the ring or at some interview but uh you know we had a lot of patience with each other and uh, you know you just sort of uh, roll with the punches
0: So uh, I just want to close uh, with you both, Jim, you were talking about this, are doing doing Comic-Cons. Yes. uh, You have one coming up, and I know, Dan, you you do some of these, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, What's that experience like, and uh, do the guys uh, and gals get along? Uh, Is there sort of like this mutual respect, it's good seeing people, or are some of them staying in sort of their – their character roles i mean maybe it's a little different for writers but do you does the does the does are they still on show are you playing are you playing jim are you playing one of the killer bees are you are you are you playing just dan or are you playing up your your book i'm just being me i i am just being me yes yeah
1: Right. I, I feel the same way, too, although you know when I see
2: some of my buddies like uh, um, uh, marty Gennetti's part uh Sean Michaels yeah. will be there and and uh, Sean had a lot of success in pro wrestling and and he's got a whole mess of people hanging around him now, you know he's got yeah. his agent and his bodyguard and a, and a writer and this and that, so I thought it was sort of comical to see him parade in with five people. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to thank Jim Brunzel uh, for your time and Dan Jurgens. It's been a pleasure. Again, these are two of my passions and I think an important topic in today's world. Like where is good and evil? H- uh, how do we depict good and evil? And can we do our best as individuals to sort of separate those two? So thank you both very much for your time and I uh, look forward to seeing you both soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Today's topic was especially interesting because of my guest, but also because I think it's something we all sort of struggle with. Who is good? Who is evil? And how do we label those people? And I would suggest that we be very careful. In Judaism, we call it the Yetzer HaRa and Yetzer Tov, right? Evil inclination, Yetzer HaRa. We all sort of have things in our mind that maybe aren't so great, and it is our ability to do good that overcomes that. And I would say most of us, if not all of us, have that ability. And when given the choice to choose good is what makes us the people we are. How do we turn off those things that are maybe bad? In fiction, uh, we want sort of the evil so the good can come through. And I think that we need to start looking at people from a lens that is good. Even the person who disagrees with us politically, religiously, their intentions are usually good. And if we start from that point, we'll all be better. I want to thank my guest today, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Uh, his book, you can check out, True Stories from the Wrestling Road. He also has a comic book that just came out. Uh, thank him for being on. Of course, Dan Jurgens. We have had this wonderful relationship that's been budding over the last couple of years. I'm a big fan of his, uh, not just as a comic book artist, but just as a human being. He's a great guy. Uh, you can check out Batman Beyond and Nightwing. He's been doing that for DC Comics. And I want to thank Todd Kessler for music again. Today's episode was hosted at the Temple of Aaron. And I just want to um, send a shout out to both of these guests for making the time. It was a busy day here at the synagogue. We hosted a block party uh, that showed uh, had a wrestling show. Uh, Jim was not a part of it, but uh, he did uh, have interest in it. And uh, I want to thank everyone who came out today for the block party. Um, Again, I'm Rabbi Jeremy Fine, and this is the Religion of Human Nature podcast.